right. I'm here with Peter Navarro, the White House Director of Trade and Manufacturing Policy. Peter, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. Nice to be with you this morning, Andy. You recently laid out how China has been using the coronavirus crisis to its own advantage. And I'm wondering how you see their behavior evolving over the years during the Trump administration. Is this worse than back when you were talking about the seven deadly sins? Let's, um, let's take a little historical look at, at what we're dealing with, Annie, with um, communist China here, okay? The historical context going back to 1962 and before that is that what China likes to do is use crises to advance its strategic and territorial agendas. So in 1962, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, China invaded India. India was, was outgunned, outmanned, and they couldn't send out the SOS to either the Soviet Union, which was a big ally of theirs at the time, or the Americans. And as a result, communist China was able to seize Aksai Chin uh, in, in India, a portion of Aksai Chin, uh, and, and basically achieve its territorial objectives. Uh, what China is doing now uh, behind the cover of the China virus pandemic, uh, there's a wide range of activities. You've got another border war with India. China has invaded India once again. Uh, you've got the ongoing suppression uh, of the Uyghurs uh, who are in concentration camps, up to two million of them. You've got the ongoing cultural genocide that's going on in Tibet. You've got China 30 years uh, before uh, the treaty said they should um, is snuffing out democracy in Hong Kong. In the South China Sea, they're doing things like sinking Vietnamese trawlers in order to assert what's called the Nine Dash Line um, in the South China Sea, which basically claims the entire South China Sea as a China lake, and it's important because a, a large portion of, of maritime commerce for the world goes through that uh, South China Sea. Here in the U.S., uh, behind the cover of, of, of the chaos of the pandemic, they are trying to steal the intellectual property associated with vaccine development so that they can hold the strategic high ground there, which would be very dangerous. And there's some irony there, I, Andy, because we signed a phase one deal, which was supposed to stop intellectual property theft. And as soon as the, the ink was dry, they, they foisted the pandemic on the world. And now they're trying to steal uh, the vaccine. And, and the worst thing about this is that this virus, this China virus that they spawned and hid uh, has really hit our major metropolitan areas like ICBMs at the two pillars of urban life or major metropolitan areas. What is that density and mass transit? And so this is kind of what we're grappling with. And I think China, uh, to use an American expression, is very much feeling their oats right now. They're, they're, they're using disinformation campaigns. We are in an information warfare with China right. uh, to basically propagate the message that the authoritarian repression of China is better economically and is a better better system 
to deal with pan a pandemic they created, mind you. But are you saying, um, sorry, Peter, are you saying that they intentionally used the coronavirus as a weapon on the United States? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is what they're doing now is leveraging the fact that this virus, which they did unleash upon America and the rest of the world, the fact that, that this virus is creating economic upheaval in this country um, is something that China is willfully and willingly exploiting. And you can, you can debate about whether this was a genetically engineered virus, whether it was an accident from the lab, or whether they put it out. But what we do know, Andy, is this. This is incontrovertible. While China was prohibiting domestic travel from Wuhan to the rest of China around the country, they willfully sent hundreds of thousands of Chinese nationals on planes to seed and spread that virus around the world. Was that an intentional act? We can't say that, but what we can say is that the fact of the matter is that was the result. So right. China is, so is, is exploiting this crisis. This is this much we know, and it's an information warfare. It's also an economic warfare. Well, and let me ask you, you were concerned yeah. about the intellectual properties uh, point, and, and I'm wondering, does that mean you're thinking about scrapping phase one altogether at this point because of those violations that you're talking about? We fully uh, expect China to uphold its commitment to phase one. Uh, at the same time, I'm simply pointing out uh, the extreme irony of a situation where China signed a deal on January 15th uh, to stop stealing our intellectual property. And even as we speak, government officials from China are trying to hack our computers to steal the intellectual property associated with things like vaccine development and therapeutics. And, and if, if the fact checkers want to be out there, go for it. Just look at the FBI circulars that have been posted warning of this kind of cyber attacks. So that's what's going on here. And I think it's important for the American people um, to, to clear, see this with clear eyes, particularly as we're moving in to an election uh, on November 3rd, in which people are going to have a very clear choice uh, between uh, a Joe Biden, who for the last 30 years or more has been a client of China and, and helped oversee the, the export of our manufacturing jobs, uh, never said a, a word about intellectual property theft, forced technology transfer, sweatshop labor, or pollution havens, or currency manipulation. This was not in Joe Biden's wheelhouse versus Donald J. Trump, who in three and a half years has transformed entirely the dialogue about China. He's the only president ever to stand up to China. And I think we're, we were definitely seeing that, that seismic shift in the polls, the Pew Research poll, I think is the gold standard here. Over 90% of Americans now see China as a threat. 71% uh, have a bad, bad impression uh, of China, and they're concerned about everything from jobs and a rising Chinese military to all the human rights 
violations of China. But the Peter, question is whether that yeah. at, those public attitudes, this is the key one, Andy, right. whether those translate into political action. Yeah, I'd yeah. love to see a sign that says China lied, 100,000 Americans died. And I think going into November 3rd, um, this is going to be yeah. uh, one of the two most important issues. It's going to be the economy. So, it's going to be yeah. China. Let me ask you, people say that you and the president use China, you're scapegoating China, number one. I'd like you to respond to that. And then number two, I mean, aren't we going to have to work with China for the rest of our lives uh, in some form or another, particularly, for instance, to get vaccines? Two questions there. Well, I, I, look, uh, how, do you, how do you work with a country uh, that, that lies through its teeth? I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. Um, the um, culture of, of communist China is not truth. It's propaganda. In the Chinese culture, this is, the, this is what's so interesting about the cultural differences uh, between the two countries that, that really led so many Western politicians astray. It's perfectly acceptable in communist China to spread propaganda that is in direct contradiction to the truth if that advances the, the Communist Party's agenda. Full stop. So, so if that's true, how do you deal with a country that's really never honored a single deal it's ever signed? I mean, let's remember just right over there, right? The Rose Garden, just right over there. 2015, Xi Jinping came into the Rose Garden, shook Barack Obama's hand um, on a deal that said, uh, we will not militarize the South China Sea and we'll stop hacking your computers. Well, guess what? Five years later, the China uh, South China Sea is, is, it looks like a war zone. Uh, it's completely militarized. Uh, right. And guess what? They, they continue to steal our intellectual property. So um, I, don't, I, don't, you know, I don't even know how you work with China on a vaccine. They refused then, to give us, hang on, this is important. P people need to understand right. this. They refused yeah. to give us early on the genetic material of the original virus. We still don't know what that looks like. So how do you develop a vaccine? They did not allow any of our CDC personnel into China to study that early on, which would have helped understand what we were up against. It would have led to earlier action in terms of shutting out that virus. I mean, they've just been a bad actor. And then on top but of that, they accuse us of, of us of creating the virus. Excuse me. How do you swear? Sorry. How do you square this rhetoric and your interpretation with the fact that you're trying to implement a trade deal, though, Peter? I mean, it sounds. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why don't you just so break off? Let me, let me ask you this, Andy. Uh, let me uh -huh. ask you this: Is is this rhetoric or is this fact that I'm saying? I, I'm 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 challenging yeah. folks out there. Just go yeah. and check the facts that I'm putting right. on the table. But that, China but how do you, signed how do you have in 2015. Why? They didn't abide by it. China spawned the virus. China hid the virus. It, so why it's not, well, it doesn't but that's sound not my, that's, that's not my, um, that's my, uh, that's not my job here okay. uh, in terms of, of, of the trade deal itself. We, we, we would love to see them honor that trade deal. That's why we went into good faith. I mean, let's be clear, the president it's bent over backward in terms of trying to have a good faith negotiation 
with the Chinese. That is a historic deal. That's it's a great achievement. But yeah, the, the, the big question, of course, is whether they're going to abide by it. And that's a work in progress. And I can assure you uh, that if they don't abide by it, this president, Donald J. Trump, uh, will make sure uh, that, that the American people are protected uh, from uh, the People's Republic of China. And, and but these are the kind of debates we need to have in this election season. We got less than 100 days, 150 days to November 3. And you know, we've got Joe Biden, who yep. you know, basically lived out of a, a post office box in Delaware where multinational corporations sent our jobs freely offshore, many of them to China. Uh, by his travel logs in the White House, he was the most traveled vice president to China uh, in American history by, by factors uh, of, of two or three or, or more. We know that during the period when he was vice president, uh, that we, lo we lost millions of manufacturing jobs to China. And it simply was never in, in Joe Biden's lang language or lingo to understand anything like sweatshops and pollution havens, which should have been in his wheelhouse, because that's part of the Democratic agenda. Uh, but currency, you know, it's just, I, I, right. this, this is the tragedy of our times. And I think this election really is going right. to define that issue, because please, if, as you're watching this, please understand that the Chinese Communist Party is, is coming for our economy. They, they, they have covered our, our technology, they've covered it our intellectual property, and they've taken our jobs. This president has reversed that trend, but I'm telling you, uh, we've got a long way to go, and the hits keep coming under the guise of this China virus that China has unleashed on us. They are using this chaos to try to destabilize further our economy and our society, and let, let me uh, they're doing this ask, around the world. Yeah, yes, let sir. me jump in. Sorry to interrupt, Peter. Let me jump in and ask you about a vaccine. If it's green lit, uh, are we going to be able to produce hundreds of millions of doses um, soon? Could we have access to the vaccine in a timely manner? And I want to ask you about manufacturing and making PPE and whether you feel that that mobilization that you've been in charge of, I believe, has been adequate. Sure. So vaccines. The best way to do that, uh, the answer to that question is, is to show you the success that we've had in, in moving things in what I call Trump time, which to say is as soon as possible. Um, I was up at, uh, in Maine last week at, at Puritan in Guilford, Maine. And uh, basically, they're ramping up under the auspices of the Defense Production Act to 60 million swabs a month in a factory that they're building in 60 days instead of a year. And that's a miracle in and of itself, a Trump miracle. But in order to do that, the more sophisticated and subtle part of this was that they had to call on the help of General Dynamics to repurpose some of their factory space in, at the Bath Ironworks in Maine. And what, what General Dynamics is doing for Puritan is building 30 of the specialized, highly specialized machines Puritan needs to package the swabs. So with that uh, miracle, jobs in Guilford, Pittsfield, Bangor, Brunswick, and Bath 
Another example was the factories we stood up in, in six weeks in Arizona and Rhode Island, Honeywell N95 mass production, GM and Ventec. We've become the, President Trump is the ventilator export king of the world in 100 days by GM and Ventec in Kokomo, Indiana, standing up a factory in 17 days, 17 days. And so when you ask me if Operation Warp Speed is going to deliver the hundreds of millions of vaccine doses we're going to need, uh, I say to you that what we've shown with all the other things this administration has been doing is that we have both the manufacturing capacity, but also the brain power to make all of that happen. And here, Andy, here's the, here's the, the important point. It's like traditionally when you do vaccine development, things happen in sequences, right? You, you do your clinical trials first, and then you, you move to the next one, next trial, yep. and, then, and then you start moving to ramp up, and then you go to full production. What Warp Speed is doing is instead of doing a sequence, they're doing these things simultaneously. So that if in fact, one of the five or six vaccine developers comes up with what we need, we will have already been able to produce that. And, and, and the worst thing that can happen if the vaccine doesn't work is we'll have too much capacity to produce it. But we won't be in a situation where we have too little. So that's where we're heading in vaccines. We're working equally hard on therapeutics. We're working equally hard on testing. And uh, I think that it's a testament to this administration and the president that we're able so innovatively and flexibly to repurpose factories and redirect energy towards fighting the China virus. Right. Hey, Peter, stocks are down today because their fears of cases spiking. How concerned are you about a second wave and what it would do to the economy? Andy, I, I think it's always uh, dangerous uh, when, when you see movement in the stock market to basically ascribe why stocks are going up or down. So, so let's, not, let's not take the premise uh, of that question. What, what I would say <laughs> is, is that Jay Powell um, and his remarks yesterday, um, uh, he has, I think, uh, probably the worst bedside manner uh, of any Fed chairman in history. I think the best strategy for Jay Powell going forward would simply be to provide the data and let us know where interest rates going uh, and keep his mouth shut. I mean, if there's the old joke, I'm a business, prof old business professor, and the old joke in the marketing thing was, you know, if Jay Powell uh, was gonna market sushi, he'd, he'd sell it as cold dead fish. Uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't appear to understand that that when you when you speak in 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 negative ways, uh, that has its own way of shaping sentiment and concerns. And so he's he's got to understand that 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 going forward, he needs to speak about the economy in a way which which provides the enthusiasm and optimism that's embodied in a president who understands how economies work. Uh, I would say to you is that, sure, we've got really significant challenges ahead, but am I pessimistic? No, I'm optimistic because I know this president knows what we need to do. And what we need to do, Andy, is move forward 
with a manufacturing economy where we bring our jobs here and we prosper. And the more manufacturing jobs we make, the more service sector jobs we'll generate. And that's the kind of thing the Fed sh chairman should be talking about if he insists on opening his mouth. I mean, every time, every time in the last year he's come on the television to talk about whatever it is they've issued, uh, the markets have not responded well. And, and it's kind of interesting because the information will come out and the markets will be fine. And then he gets up there and says sushi's cold dead fish. And, you know, that's our Fed chairman.